Greetings, it's another edition of Revolutionary Hoodoo, New Orleans Voodoo Secrets and Recipes. All is truly and indeed a blessing, this Carnival 2022. Come on in, come on in, the fire is hot, the water is a boiling. This is about to put somebody in this stop. Come on in, all over the world, come on in. We most certainly appreciate your love. Come back home. 
world spiritualist. 
perspective. I always breathe there. I always pause to breathe before I say, all is indeed a blessing, beloved. All is indeed a blessing if you can just see beyond the veils. For these veils are all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle, of why we're here. This is indeed my personal constant prayer. It is my mantra. All is a blessing is something I say no less than a few hundred times, maybe a thousand times a day, out loud, in my head, to a friend, to, to family, to a client. My affirmation, it is my reverberation and reiteration, and indeed it is my ever-living reality. It is my demonstration, and it is crucial to the foundation of my inner standing, my teaching, my walk, my work along this divine, all-blessed life path journey. It is how I, the divine prince, Ty, and Mecca make sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on this plastic, illusionary physical earth plane existence. It is my personal place of power and understanding. The place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize and make sense of all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality. And so it is, Ashe. And for my astute listeners, they indeed understand the illusions within the I and I. I borrowed I and I from the Rasta movement who uses as little pronouns as possible, but speaks I and I to suggest our interconnectedness with God, that indeed I and I are one and the same. I and I occupy and share the same space, the same waking and unwaking reality and unwoken reality. And indeed all religions and all world philosophies suggest that to some degree. I come to confirm and reconfirm for you that the black woman is God. The black woman is God. Can you hear me? Am I being heard clearly out there? Hello. Hello, Block Talk Radio. Hello, YouTube, StreamYard. The black woman is God. And this is not just my voodoo philosophy. This is science, which supports that all humanity was born in the cradle, in the womb of the black mother. And so, therefore, we are all born God, just as we are all born human. We are born infants, not adults. We're born immature, not spiritually astute and developed. So indeed, we are born human and grow into ourselves. We are born God and grow and develop into ourselves. So today, this 
Shango Oya Canada Day, this February 21st, 2022, for my numerologists out there. Indeed, I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you now live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince. Thai potions, hoodoo central, black hawk voodoo, gold digger baby dolls from this legendary, historic, beautiful, and enchanted city of New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors. And those who came before me along this who do obey a life path and journey, passing down the great obia stick along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, minerals, and indeed the legacy, the culture, the traditions, the history, the food, the experience of our story, our story. Now, stop and like, follow, subscribe, share, reshare, if you will, comment, criticize, for indeed all is a blessing at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the hyphen divine hyphen prince and youtube.com forward slash voodoo tie v. O-O-D-O-O-T-Y-E. And wherever you're listening from, viewing from right now, sharing this experience, please do like, subscribe, follow, share, and reshare. Understanding that the creation of sacred space is critical to all that we do. Who we are at any given moment in time space. And for sure, in this most present moment in time space, we indeed create and recreate our reality. We are co-creators with the great creators of our reality. And so because my creators are, I am. I am because my creators are. I am because my ancestors are all-powerful, open, and receptive to all that operates for my good here and now in this most present moment in time space. I create and recreate the reality that mirrors my best interest. I create and recreate the reality that mirrors my best interest. And so that has to begin in how we think, how we crystallize in this globe atop our shoulders, how we view, how we uh, operate and act within vision. We cannot continue to envision and create and recreate within this, this glow of a consciousness the reality that we don't want and certainly the reality that does not mirror our best interests. And so in the releasing and letting go of those things which impede progress, there's a fire. Some call it Kundalini. There's a fire that dwells within, that consumes all but the truth as it makes its journey up the spinal cord, as it makes its journey from the lower coordinaries of our reality, a 
of our existence and our being to the higher elevated vibratory reality that we coexist in at any given moment in our experience. We are intra and interdimensional travelers of time and space and reality. Some of you travel and spend a lot of time in the past, a lot of time in the future, neglecting to feed that which is at the seat of your power, and that is this present moment in time space, this present moment. Right now, I'm not concerned about an hour ago. I'm I'm not very concerned about an hour from now, but I am concerned about how we vibrate and receive and give in this present moment. The magic lies in this moment. And so understanding that spiritual knowledge and power and conversation and rhetoric and philosophy and religion lies in its efficacy. The magic of its ability to produce and manifest powerful, reliable, tangible, lasting manifestation and results right here, right now, in this most present moment in time space. All else is vanity. All else is a shortcut. All else is an ego. All else is temporary. All else is an illusion. So in this self-created sacred space, I ask you to breathe and to breathe again and remember your divinity. We are consciously and, and constantly reminded, Tammy, uh, most of our animal nature, of our physical nature, of our human nature and our humanity, compassion and mercy. But we don't show that compassion and mercy to our spirit bodies, which indeed is more real, more evident, more tangible, more reliable than anything we can envision, beloved Orisha, Evae Orisha, Mojupa Orisha. It's more real than anything we can fix in the physical plane reality. For indeed, the physical plane reality is temporal, it's temporary, it's in constant motion, it's in constant change, requires constant repair, requires constant nourishment, constant rebuilding and, and, and uplifting. But it is that spirit realm, beloved, that endures, that is most real. Ancestors own. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, yes. Welcome, welcome to those I've acknowledged and those who I have not. It's going to be another powerful edition of Revolutionary Hoodoo, New Orleans Voodoo Secrets and Recipes today, this February. 21st, 2022. Greetings and salutations to you and yours, Neophyte Bocor. Peace and blessings to the family. Welcome and thank you so much for doing what you do for us uh, in the community and showing up. Greetings to my locals. I love my locals. The infinite one indeed lives. Peace and blessings to you, beloved. A happy carnival. Les, les, bon ton, les. 
<laughs> I hope you're doing your thing, whatever your thing might be during carnival, because we don't all do the same thing in New Orleans during carnival. Some of us is uh, in front of the camera. Some of us behind the camera. Some of us is doing that thing, and some of us are enjoying the damn thing. <laughs> so we certainly appreciate you for taking the time out of the middle of your day, wherever you are in our international relationship, to be present here with us. We certainly are in gratitude, beloved, compassion, and mercy. We certainly are indeed grateful. Uh, have I missed anyone before I move on to the material of the day? I'm certainly grateful for those who show up live and participate. And certainly I appreciate those who um, consistently listen and participate in their own way by way of archive. So one more time, in archive at blog talkradio.com forward slash the hyphen divine hyphen presence. Is that the wrong banner? Okay, here we go. It's scrolling at the bottom of the screen. So please do, please do stop now. Don't feel like you're being rude or disrespectful to stop right now. Open up that tab to blogtalkradio.com and click like, click on the show, Click subscribe. Please feel free to use that share button in LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, blog, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Blogger, Tumblr. <laughs> Just please feel free to share. And, of course, uh, also you can enjoy the show and reshare the show from the YouTube page, which is now scrolling at the bottom of your screen, youtube.com forward slash V-O-O-D-O-O. T-Y-E. And my personal, professional ministry email is divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com. Divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com. Two I's and one E in divine. And I'm certainly grateful for your continued support and participation. I'm, I'm certainly Certainly grateful. Yes, the, the creative energy is high during this season, probably even more so right now uh, because of the pandemic. So a lot of pent-up energies being uh, shared and expelled, if you will, onto the street right now um, because of, you know, our inability to sort of get up and do Hollywood South, uh, capturing and resharing. Noah.com, who features me a great deal. Uh, Times Picayune, I'm grateful for you all. Um, the Gambit, who document in a way that we don't all have to be out there. Uh, the tourists are, are loving it and enjoying it, and, and we appreciate the tourists. Um, but certainly, you must pre-schedule, pre-plan your appointment before you show up at the house. Um, and expect a, a sit-down in this intimate space with myself and my circle and, and my shrine, you know. So moving on or moving forward uh, and in the continuation of our conversation of the Syrian 
spirit and ancestral ancestors. The question has continued to arise, even in our conversation, and certainly in the global conversation. Did we evolve from apes or chimpanzees, or is our intelligence the result of contact with an otherworldly source? Could unexplained advances in human evolution be the work of interstellar beings? 10,000-year-old petroglyphs link our ancient ancestors with star beings. Might evidence of alien contact help unlock the mystery of the creation of man? A creation myth or a cosmogonic myth is a symbolic narrative of how the world began and how people first came to inhabit it. While in popular use, the term myth often refers to false or fanciful stories. Members of cults often ascribe varying degrees of truth to their creation myth. In the society in which it is told, a creation myth is usually regarded as conveying profound truth, metaphorically, symbolically, and sometimes in a historical or uh, literal sense. They are commonly, although not always, considered cosmogonical myths. That is, they describe the ordering of the cosmos from a state of chaos or amorphousness. Amorphousness. Creation myths often share a number of features. They often are considered sacred accounts, and can be found in nearly all known religious traditions. Creation myths are also stories with a lot, uh, a lot of plot and character activities who are either deities, human-like figures, or animals who often speak and transform easily. They are often set in a dim and non-specific past that historians of religion, Marcia, Eliade, E-L-I-A-D-E, Eliade, termed in her work, Elo Tempore, I-L-L-O-T-E-M-P-R-E, Elo Tempore, or in English at that time. Creation myths address questions deeply meaningful to the society that shares them, revealing their central worldview and framework for the self-identity of the culture and individual in a universal context. Creation myths develop in oral traditions and therefore typically have multiple versions found throughout human culture. They are the most common form of myths. Huge drop of milk. Then Dundari, God, came and he created the stone. Then the stone created iron, and iron created fire, and fire created water, and water created air. The Dundari descended a second time, and he took the five elements 
and he shaped them into man. Counting on your left hand from your pinky forward, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. But man was proud. Then Dudari created blindness, and blindness defeated man. But when blindness became too proud, Dundari created sleep, and sleep defeated blindness. But when sleep became too proud, Dundari created worry, and worry defeated sleep. But when worry became too proud, Dundari created death, and death defeated worry. But when death became too proud, Dundari descended for the third time, and he came as G-U-E-N-O, Gueno, the eternal one. And Gueno defeated death. This is a Fulani story from Maui. Fulani from Maui. Now, there's another creation myth. Tortoises, men, and stones. God created the tortoise, men, and stones. Of each, he created male and female. God gave life to the tortoises and men, but not to the stones. Neon even could have children. And when they became old, they did not die, but became young again. The tortoises, however, wished to have children and went to God. But when God said, I have given you life, but I have not given you permission to have children, but the tortoise came to God again to make the request, and finally God said, you always come to ask for children. Do you realize that the living have had several children that died? But the tortoise said, let me see my children and then die. Then God granted the wish. When man saw that the tortoise had children, he too wanted children. God warned man as he had the tortoise that if he grants children, they must die. But man also said, let me see my children and then die. That is how death and children in a Nigerian Nupe story came into the world. Only the stones didn't want to have children, so they never died. The next creation myth from the DR Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, an essay creation story of the forbidden fruit. God created the first human being with the help of the moon. God kneaded the body out of clay. Then God covered it with skin. And in the end, God poured blood into it. God called the first human Baatsi. Then God whispered into his ear, telling Baatsi to beget many children, but to impress upon the children to follow the rules. From all trees you may eat, 
but not from the Tahu tree. Baatsi had many children, and he made them obey the rules. When he became old, he retired to heaven. His children obeyed the rules. When they grew old, they too retired to heaven. But one day, a pregnant woman was seized with an irresistible desire to eat the fruit of the Tahu tree. She asked her husband to bring some for her, but he refused. But when she persisted, the husband began. He crept into the forest and picked the Tahu tree, it, the in the bush. But moon, the moon had seen him, and she told God what she had seen. God was so angry with humans that he sent death as a punishment into humanity. And this is, again, F.A., Democratic Republic of Congo, from Tanzania, or Tanzania, forgive me, Tanzania, a Niyawezi, Niyawezi, capital N-Y-A-M-W-E-Z-I. Niyam Wavy story. Shida Mutanda created all things. After Shida Mutanda making the earth and water, plants and animals, he created two women and took them as his wives. His favorite wife, however, died. Then Shida Mutanda buried her in her house and remained at her grave, watering it every day. After some time, a little plant began to grow from the grave. Then he was glad because he knew that the dead woman would rise again, and he did not allow his other wife to come near the grave. But one day when Shida Mutanda had gone out, the wife was overcome with curiosity, and she stole into the house. When she saw the plant, she was jealous and cut it down with a hoe. The blood of the dead woman poured out of the grave and filled the house. When Shida Mutana returned and saw the blood, he was much afraid and said, You have killed your co-wife and therefore caused all men, animals, and plants to die. From Shida Mutanda and the surviving woman descended all other humans in the Niyam Wavy story of Tanzania. Of Tanzania, of Tanzania, T-A-N-Z-A-N-I-A. My next creation story is an Afro-Cuban creation story, Afro-Cuban, how truth and falsehood got confused. And we know that there is Yoruba root to many of these Afro-Cuban stories through Lukumi, Santeria. So how truth and falsehood got so confused. Olofi created the earth and all things in it. He created beautiful things and ugly things. He created truth and he created falsehood. He made truth big and powerful he made falsehood skinny and weak, and God made them enemies. He gave falsehood a cutlass or a machete. I mean, no to truth, 
One day, the two met and started fighting. Truth, being so big and powerful, felt confident and also very complacent since he didn't know that falsehood had a cut in it. So falsehood cunningly cut off Truth's head. This jolted and enraged Truth, and he started scrambling around on the ground for his head. In his scrambling, Truth stumbled onto falsehood, and knocking him down, Truth felt the head of falsehood, and he took it to be his own head. His strength being truly awesome, a mere pull from Truth yanked off the head of falsehood. Truth then put the head on his own neck, and from that day, what we have is a horrible mismatch, the body of truth and the head of falsehood. And this, again, is an Afro-Cuban creation myth. So myths in African concepts speak to reality. They often reality that require and imagination to even conceive. For indeed, there is third eye activity, there's imagination, there's creativity, uh, even some entertainment in the telling and the retelling of Grecian stories and myths. Myths are accounts of the origin of societies and institutions and are not subject to rationalization, but often use historians and philosophers in their quest to study African history, for it is only thus that we can comprehend the various aspects of the continent's history and its culture. So philosophy as a discipline is a reflection of mankind on the ideas and institutions guiding their existence. Philosophy, as Staniland defined it, is the criticism of the ideas we live by. It is the criticism of the ideas and material inventions that a particular society originates for administering itself. Uh, And again, I quote from Staniland, S-T-A-N-I-L-A-N-D, 1974. It is important to emphasize that philosophical ideas with culture met in the descriptive sense but in the critical and prescriptive sense, where the anthropologist celebrates culture, the philosopher improves. It is the critical essence of philosophy in relationship to culture that informs William James' conception of philosophy as the habit of searching for alternatives. The critical nature of philosophy in relationship to culture can be explained more aptly with the classification that Staniland gave. According to her, philosophy is a critical enterprise. She explains that by philosophy being critical, she does not mean that negative destruction of culture. She explains by criticism, I of course mean not negative appraisal, but rational, impartial, and articulate appraisal, whether positive or negative. To be critical of received ideas is accordingly not the same thing as rejecting them. 
It consists rather in seriously asking oneself whether the idea in question should be reformed, modified, or conserved, and in applying one's entire intellectual and imaginative intelligence to the search for an answer. Philosophy is actually a personal reflection about all aspects of our reality. It is an exercise in which one tries to give meaning to the world from his or her own standpoint, given the prevailing circumstances and environmental influences. Philosophizing in the experience of the traditional African takes the character of critical reflection of the African's understanding of reality and worldview, myths, folklore, proverbs, therefore become the major sources of African philosophy, says Jaja, G-A-G-A, circa 1995. I believe uh, more so myths encode the traditional setting of the African and their belief system. However, ardent critics of myths have branded them pre-philosophic, irrational, devoid of authenticity. This speaks that mirrors our reality. This suggests that myths are constructs meant to interpret our reality. They portray the African way of thinking and as vehicles for preserving and transmitting valued knowledge and philosophical and moral codes. No matter what the environment we found ourselves in, no matter what challenges we found ourselves confronted with along our journey. Greetings to Goddess Initiative. Thank you so much for being so consistent, beloved. We certainly appreciate you. Well, come on down, beloved. Just, just let me know. <laughs> just, just give me some warning. Uh, come on down. Greetings, everybody. Welcome. Uh, and have to come back. Get over your fear, beloved. Uh, wow, death defeated worry. Isn't that something? Yeah, isn't it? Because worry can only lead to death. Worry is not a, a step to the fix, the repair, the adjustment. Uh, let's see, Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, I've been with Blog Talk Radio now 13 years, Gene Williams, so I'm certainly grateful. Uh, greetings, Nina Lloyd. Come on in, beloved. All is a blessing. We certainly appreciate you as we continue our discussion today on theory and spirit and ancestral ancestors. I've talked a little bit about how creation stories and particularly myths um, sort of speak or mirror a reality that we share but most certainly our ancestors shared, and more specifically our ancient ancestors shared. In speaking to their 
reality of Syrian spirit and Syrian activity in their lives, and of course, ancestral ancestors. And this particular episode, episode three of this topic, I began introducing more information about the intervention and possible manipulation of life on the planet by extraterrestrial intervention. So generally a myth is a story which is believed to be true. It has its origins in the far distant past history of a particular group of people. Alagoa, A-L-A-G-O-A, wrote in 1978, argued that they are historical information myths transmitted orally by processes peculiar to each community. Myths myths are man-made stories that play explanatory functions in the African understanding of reality. The Encyclopedia Britannica defined myth as a story handed down in oral form from our forefathers which explain reality concepts and beliefs, and further serves as explanations of nature, natural events, such as creation, the origins of things, the history of a race or people. This shows that myth is not just a product of human imagination, but a direct expression of reality. In Yanwu, a-N-Y-A-N-W-U, Eni Yanwu, wrote in, in 1987, citing Hantanji, H-O-U-N-D-T-O-N-J-I. Hantanji says that man cannot live without myth. The reason is quite obvious. Man is a being that cannot bear to live with certain questions unanswered. That is why he sits down to formulate myths to make these questions answerable. And in my concept of the black woman is God, therefore we are born God. Indeed, a God reason, a God question, a God makes choices, and so would find it hard to deal with what's unanswered without a response. Thus, man is making animals, says Annie Wu, 1987. Some thinkers have rightly observed that myths are pre-philosophic in nature, that philosophy started where myths stopped, which presupposes that philosophy has its roots in myth, says Jaja, 1984. It is pertinent to the point to point out that myths are a result of the revelation of Tao and are often founded upon an original experience that reaches beyond the sensorial and rational, but 
they are not illogical. They are mostly susceptible to rational analysis and logical interpretation. An analysis of many myths, as shown here, shows that actions of gods and heroes often presuppose a keen analysis of given circumstances and are based on rational decisions, says Kirk, 1974. It can be argued that some myths represent complex logical systems, which are different from those which are usually found in contemporary Western society. Nevertheless, according to a common view, there is a radical separation between mythos and logos, between myth and philosophy. Myth is associated with the mysteries and illogical, and philosophy with the rational and logical, says Apostel, A-P-O-S-T-E-L, Apostel, in, in, in 1981. Myths are part of a way of life and state precedents and models for human action, but they do not seek to explain them on a rational basis. Myths use images, philosophies, concepts. Philosophy asks generalized questions, relies on systematic reasoning, and rejects the supernatural explanations of the world. But mythological societies are unsystematic and deal with the sacred. And again, Apostel, A-P-O-S-T-E-L, 1981. Myth is a wholeness attained in the world. As a whole, because those who live in myth and are guided by it, are engaged on many different planes with the whole of which the myth is an integral part. By teaching man and by regulating the way of his living in devotional engagement with the whole and by gradually disclosing engagement with many layers of its meaning, myth reveals the knowledge of the whole. But the knowledge of the whole is not merely uh, theoretical. It's not merely a partial intellectual knowledge, but it embraces the hope of life. Myth reveals the knowledge for which philosophy in proper sense looks. But it does not disclose this knowledge without appropriate devotional engagement. Myth is completed already at the beginning whereas philosophy seeks to be completed at the end. Mythological societies live in eternity rather than in historical time. The societies in which philosophy or science plays an important part constantly seek their completion and are in a permanent dissatisfaction with the results of their findings because we're constantly upgrading, improving, learning new information, gaining access to new resources. They live in history and are time-oriented. Myth corresponds to eternity. 
philosophy to the discovery of history. So myths are seen as vehicles conveying uh, certain facts or truths about man's experiences in his encounter with the created order and its relationship to the super sensual world. For Abanuka, A-B-A-N-U-K-A, for Abanuka wrote in 1994, myth tells of the superhuman experience of the community. Myth exposes the fact that man's misfortunes are attributed to disobedience to the divine man and moral Stories, namely stories of origin, explanatory stories, didactic, 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 didactic stories. Each of these stories is meant to explain a particular phenomenon. Myth is not an intellectual explanation or an artistic imaginary, but living chronicles in the minds of Africans. They contain and express the history, the culture, and the inner experience of the African himself. Africans use myths to explain how things came to be through the efforts of a supernatural being. It is concrete and expresses life better than abstract thought can do. It is indeed surprising though that up till the age of 20, some scholars still doubt the existence of African philosophy. The reason being that some philosophers having basically studied Western philosophy treated African philosophy from a typical Western standpoint. It is necessary to remind this class that scholars that in traditional Africa, there are individuals who are capable of critical, coherent, and independent thinking. The second school of thought is the philosophic saga city, S-A-G-A-C-I-T-Y, sagacity, sagacity, philosophic sagacity. Philosophic sagacity retains the basic tenets of the professional school. However, unlike it, it is an expression or an exposition of the wisdom and beliefs of the individuals who have not been schooled in the former educational system. It consists of wisdom and views of those who are professionally trained philosophers that is either in the classroom, taught, nor self-taught. A sage can be a very formally educated and literate person, says Oruka, O-R-U-K-A, 1995. Philosophical Sagacity is an expression of the view that amongst the various African communities, 
exist individuals who, despite the fact that they have not had the benefit of having contact with so-called Aquianus Russell, all Western philosophy, such as Plato, are nevertheless critical independent thinkers who guide their thought and judgment by the power of reason and inborn insight rather than by the authority of communal consensus. Again, Oruka, 1990, who was 20 in 2011. The professional school had also produced professional philosophers with Eurocentric standpoints. Some of these scholarly works are as follows. And now the, the, these uh, Western African names are going to be really hard for me to pronounce, y'all. Okay, now, Oniyemweni, O-N-Y-E-W-U-N, I'm sorry, W-U-N-Y-I, Oniyemweni, Oniyemweni. I see, writ, wrote in 1986, African Origin of Greek Philosophy. Oweri, O-W-E-R-R-I, Oweri, Nigeria. Black Academic Press, Budanrin, B-O-D-U-N-R-I-N, P-O, 1985, Philosophy in Africa. The Ile I'm sorry, the Ife Nigeria University Ife Press in 1981. The question of African philosophy in, I'm sorry, the question of African philosophy in, my notes are a little misscrewed here, y'all, forgive me. In philosophy, volume 56, Morrow L. wrote in 1992, the idea of African philosophy, a critical study of the major orientations in contemporary African philosophy. Ibidan, Molecule Publishers, Berin, PD, 1980. Philosophy and African Culture, Cambridge University Press. Apostille, L, 1984. African Philosophy, Myth, or reality. Story Sienta and Ebo M. So those were the quoted uh, individuals that I spoke of uh, during my last uh, passage. And I certainly want to acknowledge everyone in my chat who's hung in there with me. Uh, Alafia, uh, beloved Tasha, greetings and salutations to you and yours. We certainly appreciate you. Um, thank you so much for stopping by, Nina Lloyd. We certainly appreciate you as well. Uh, the Goddess Initiative. Would philosophy be like how religion is? They say religion was invented to explain the magic of the universe. So is philosophy the way to explain the magic of myths. Perhaps. Perhaps it does seem to be a, a bit intertwined. 
interrelated. I think with, you know, building from from um, imagination as we try and explore and make sense of our reality would indeed um, further promote the development of, of myths, legends, oracle stories that would help us to better rationalize our reality and the experience of our reality here on the planet, here here on Earth. I wanted to talk more about the aliens or the extraterrestrial agenda. Deep in North Central Mexico is the sleepy little town of Dose, located on the Archuleta Mesa on the Colorado-New Mexico border. Dolce is home to about 3,000 residents and is the headquarters of the Jicaria Apache Nation, J-I-C-A-R-I-L-L-A, Jicarilla or Jicaria Apache Nation. For as small and insignificant as this remote location may sound, since the 1980s, Dolce has been the center of a controversy regarding the so-called alien or extraterrestrial agenda. Rumors of underground tunnels and related conspiracy theories. At the time, the physicist and inventor Paul Benowitz claimed he had discovered an underground base occupied by extraterrestrials near Dolce. The story quickly spread through the UFO community, and allegations that surround the base include human abductions by extraterrestrial beings. He also asserted that the extraterrestrials were engaging in the development of advanced technology, including genetic manipulation, all a part of their reported alien agenda. Their plan, according to such as the Illuminati, the Masons, the Bilderberg Group, and the Skull and Bones. Dolce is not the only place on Earth where it is believed underground bases exist, but it is the one which has received the greatest notoriety in recent times. Subterranean bases, according to conspiracy theorists, can be found around the world with major active outposts all across the United States, Australia, Antarctica, and South America. These theories posit that the underground bases are connected to each other via a series of channels, which ensure each base is connected to the other. There are even assertions that one of these tunnels leads to an active base beneath the Vatican which has been exerting control over Western civilization for centuries. And, and, you know, when we say control, you know, we don't just mean, you know, sort of this religious, moral, philosophical, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, it, it, it has been rumored that the Vatican has collected art, uh, books, uh, landmarks, you know, various items, um, 
throughout the history that contain evidence of, of culture or evidence of history or evidence of people, places, and things that we now accept to hold, you know, great position uh, in our in our lives and in our world. There was an exchange at one time so popular of um, sacred artifacts that people began to even fake sacred artifacts. There was a great market in, in the Roman Empire for uh, sacred artifacts, uh, piece, a piece of the cross, you know, a, a piece of the rock, if you will, uh, of a sacred site, tomb, uh, or location. And so a wealth of information is said to exist within these communities, within these channels, within the Vatican, within these secret societies regarding the subject of extraterrestrial and human um, inhabitation here on the earth. But as strange as all this might seem, could any of it really be true and turn the mythology, um, you know, that we've discussed and begin to look at and examine really into some footprint of evidence of our ancestors' experience here on the earth. It must be clarified that mythology, like many of the claims that come from the UFO community, is treated more like science fiction rather than fact. Traditional mythologists contend that the gods we find in myth represent the forces of nature or the creation of someone's vivid imagination. With that said, Mythology supports that seemingly outlandish claim. Does it? Using mythology to understand beliefs in underground realms, stories of underground realms occupied by the gods pervade mythology. And depending on the culture, it has been called Hades, Tartarus, Zabalba, Duat, Patala, Hell, just to name a few. These homes of the gods are not always found deep within the earth, but are sometimes described as being within a mountain or deep beneath the waters of the earth or a sort that might exist just beneath the water or just beyond a, a, a boulder, a megalithic boulder uh, in, in a hill of a mountain. Access to their domain, regardless of the locality it's found on the planet, is often described as located through the mouth of a cave. The entrance may appear open at one time and then disappear from view completely or instantaneously. The inhabitants of these underground realms did not desire to be visited by the unwanted or the unexpected company, yet access was granted to select individuals. Ancient texts describe entrances into the underworld as being anything but easy to access. The Mayan Popol Vuh, for example, describes the route taken by the hero brothers Hunhan Apu and Vakub Hanapu. It tells of a steep descent into the home of the lords of Zababa and the many challenges they had to face. 
Similarly, texts such as the Egyptian Book of the Dead describe the path by which the deceased God King must travel to enter Duat. Like the Popopu, the path is fraught with challenges the individual must pass in order to enter the realm of the dead or the underworld. The Vishnu Purana states that the deepest level of the underground, Patala, can be found 70,000 Johannes beneath the surface of the earth. Gilgamesh, the epic bearing his name, is described as traveling 12 leagues in the dense darkness until he arrived in the light-filled chamber of the underworld. In these ancient texts, the underground domains of the gods are described as filled with houses or vast halls where thousands of individuals could assemble. Fountains, plants, Tall grasses, trees, and animals of all kinds fill this land. The divine aesthetic, Narada, who is featured in the Vishnu Purana, Vishnu, V-I-S-H-N-U, P-U-R-A-N-A, Purana, claims to have visited Patala, stating that Patala was much more charming than heaven. He explained what can be compared with Patala, where Nagas, serpent beings, are adorned with beautiful and brilliant and pleasure-diffusing gems. This region is embellished with the daughters of Dayatyas, D-A-I-T-Y-A-S, Dayatyas, and Danavas, D-A-N-A-V-A-S. And, and many in this community love to speak about the Naga, N-A-G-A-S, and their connection to humanity and, and the origins of humanity, particularly in the regions of, of India, and are said to be uh, either otherworldly beings or extraterrestrial beings or some sort of animal-human hybrid, and uh, most commonly, ancestors to uh, humans. Similar descriptions of the underworld, underwater homes, the gods, are scattered through mythology. The home of the Sumerian fertility god, Enki, which is located in the watery deep, is described as having his house built of gold, silver, and lapis lazuli. Even writers such as Greek philosopher Plato echo this notion. He believed that the earth was littered with a number of hollows that were full of water, air, trees, fruit, flowers. Surprisingly, Plato confirms yet another claim made by modern uh, ufology. Plato goes on to state that these hollows were connected to one another by subterranean channels. But Plato isn't the only one who refers to tunnels that lie beneath the surface of the earth. Inca legends, for example, tell of a network of tunnels that creep across the planet with underground cities. And you don't know that I'm going to be there. Uh, and certainly in more recent times, we're seeing uh, cavernous 
uh, dwellings, ancient archaic dwellings uh, that could have only have been housed by a uh, housing, I should say, uh, something living, either human or, or, or other than human, uh, but something living, um, well-defined, well-carved-out caverns uh, in, in Europe and, and other parts of the world beneath the surface of the earth. When Pizarro and the Spanish conquistadors entered Peru, they kidnapped the Inca emperor, Atahualpa, 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 and held him for ransom. They demanded enough gold to fill a room in return for Atahualpa's release. Pizarro's men heard rumors that the Inca god, or the Inca gold, I should say, was being held in a vast network of subterranean tunnels. And some suggest that that's really why Christopher Columbus uh, came over here in the first place. They were still looking for Atlantis. They were still looking for this Inca uh, city of gold and other uh, aboriginal uh sacred locations that, you know, former explorers had suggest, you know, were full of gold and, and other uh, wealth, you know, that these uh, European uh, voyagers and colonizers uh, were looking for at the time. In more recent years, adventurers who have hazarded into the caverns beneath Cusco entered but were never seen again. One man actually did make it out of the tunnels alive, bringing with him two bars of gold. And according to officials, he had gone mad. In response, the entrances to the tunnels were then walled up for, the, for safety's sake. At least that is the official story. Meanwhile, the Apache Indians report that their ancestors took refuge in ancient tunnels during a catastrophic cataclysmic disaster on earth. They wandered through immense passageways for years, carrying the seeds for life into the new world. But what about other claims made by ufologists regarding these bases being used for genetic engineering? According to their assertions, it is the lowest level, the seventh level of the Doce base that the extraterrestrials are engaging in this kind of experimentation. And again, mythology supports this premise. And Native American tribes, indigenous American tribes across the country are the most vocal when it comes to the topic of extraterrestrial genetic engineering. The Jicarilla Apache, or Jicaria Apache, whose headquarters is in Dolce, the Navajo and the Hopi Indians have long-standing traditions of man's creation and emergence from beneath the surface of the earth. In fact, the Algonquins recount, thus 
did the lowermost world cave become overfilled with living things full of unfinished creatures crawling like reptiles over one another around in dark blackness. In this matter, they do not stand alone. Berosus, B-E-R-O-S-U-S, Berosus, a Babylonian priest, tells of the hideous creatures that inhabit this underground realm. Some with a goat, and even some with the hindquarters of a horse and the body of man. In some, there were creatures in which were combined the limbs of every species of animal. These genetic experiments are, according to reports from UFO advocates, being conducted by a group of reptilian beings in the lower levels of the base. Thomas Castello, a former senior security officer at the base, testified that the base at Dolce is a seven-level underground facility with the lower levels described as a series of natural caverns. It is believed by Castello that these caverns were used by different extraterrestrial races in our remote past. Uh, I even remember sitting in uh, Moss Merriam back in the 80s and hearing Farrakhan talk about extraterrestrials, talk about a, a, a mothership circling the planet, uh, waiting on some correct timing um, to, to reveal itself, uh, and, and certainly uh, the idea of extraterrestrial intervention in humanity uh, and, of course, uh, some relationship between world governments and, and the presence of extraterrestrials is not new. It's not, quote, unquote, modern. Uh, it, it's not new age. It's quite ancient. In Hindu cosmology, the Naga, or, or the serpent beings, once lived on earth. But the great god Brahma sent them to live under the sea in the seventh level of their underground realm called Patala. In the Sumerian, in Anana, Inanna, I-N-A-N-A, Inanna, Inanna's descent to the netherworld. Inanna is required to pass through seven gates to finally reach the bowels of the underworld. Aztec legend says that Quetzalcoatl, the feather serpent, went to uh, went to Mictian, the Aztec underworld, and created mankind uses his own blood and the bones of the previous race. Throughout mythology, the act of creating humanity is always associated with a specific group of gods, the fertility gods. Fertility gods around the world are traditionally depicted as reptilian or amphibious in nature and appear in art as a blend between man or humanity and fish or humanity and snake. Some conspiracy theorists go as far as to claim that the, that the reptilian alien agenda is to control us and to dominate the power, a plot orchestrated by an elite group 
which includes powerful and influential uh, people here, here on planet Earth. A number of individuals also argue that the reptilians' true agenda, uh, along with seeking to control us, is to fight the development of New World Order. Proponents of this alien agenda theory believe that the reptilians or the byproduct of their genetic manipulation experiments intend to take control of the Earth's Earths uh, again. Because some believe that there was a time reptilians indeed controlled the Earth. Uh, even if we consider, you know, those who believe the dinosaurs were here uh, by themselves without uh, humans certainly had a, a time of dominance uh, on the planet. I shared a documentary, uh, two documentaries before we came on at high noon, suggesting otherwise. And my second documentary was particularly Christian uh, by choice. I, I, I typically, I, I particularly wanted to reach those Westernized, Christianized mindsets out there who don't recognize sort of the extraterrestrial footprint that indeed exists within that great magical book that you all call the Bible. This takeover is reportedly being orchestrated by an extremely powerful and influential group, which includes many of the world's wealthiest people. Some claim members of this elite group are actually genetically related to each other. Their goal is to have every man, woman, and child on the earth obedient to their agenda. The reason also to reduce the population of the earth and are performing weapons such as geos, vaccinations, to reduce our numbers. It is contended that it is easier to control 500,000 or million individuals than it is the seven billion who currently live on the earth. A look into mythology relative to this claim does have a few pillars of support. The idea of calling the human population on earth is not a modern concept. In the Sumerian epic of Atarhasis, A-L-T-R-A-H-A-S, I S A I'm sorry, A T A T R A Atra H A S I S Atrahisis Atrasis or Atrahisis. For example, we find a story where the gods do just that, limit the number of humans that are able to exist on the planet. In this myth, twelve Hundred years after the creation of mankind, the number of people who inhabited the earth grew. Their noise disturbed the sky god in in Lil, who then decided to send a plague in order to reduce the population. This worked for a while, but when another twelve hundred years passed, the population had grown again, and in Lil was once more bothered by the noise. This time, in order to decrease their numbers, 
He asked the thunder god, Adad, to hold back the rains, whereby the world suffered from a great drought, where vast numbers died. The population continued to grow, and by the time another 1,200 years had passed, the noise became too much for Enlil to bear, and wanting to alleviate his problem, he told the gods to hold back all of nature's gifts. This went on for six years, and as the text describes, the people of Earth were reduced to cannibalism in order to survive. The fertility god Enki tried to save the people from starvation, which angered Enlil even more. And finally, in an act of vengeance, Enlil decided to destroy mankind once and for all. He planned to do this by flooding the world. Enki once again stepped in and saved humanity from total annihilation. He warned Atrahasis of the impending flood and told him to build a boat to save himself and his family. Torrents of theories have come forward as we seek the truth regarding our place in the universe. Mythology does lend itself to support a number of these claims. It is difficult to determine if the creators of these theories base their conjecture using myth as their foundation, first-hand experiences, or something else altogether. What does seem evident is that much of the information UFO researchers are bringing to light does parallel the myths and legends that have been passed to us from antiquity, bringing this idea full circle. And if the stories being unearthed in the UFO community, such as those from Dolce based in New Mexico, were not based on mythological sources, yet mythology supports these claims, then the stories of our distant past may have a basis in fact. It implies that the gods were living beings who walked the earth in our remote past on the planet. We are beginning to reevaluate how we view God, how we review religion, how we, re- how we review education um, in our communities. And so we certainly are going through a bit of a growth spurt right now in terms of how we view ourselves and the world. And these theories only help us to expand our mind and our consciousness, our imaginations, for indeed our third eye and our imagination, thin veil between that and and the spirit realm, thin veil between that and reality. Uh, Is chat going in and out? Now, what do you mean is chat going in and out? That's different than audio or visual. So what do you mean is the chat going in and out? What does that mean? Help me out, Shamafia, Gene Williams. Oh, you're talking about the sound is snapping or popping. Okay. Yeah, you, you, you know, my long-term listeners have noticed over the years that certain information creates problems for us. Okay, we, we, we've noted that. Yes, indeed. So I certainly appreciate you all's attention. 
Uh, yes, Goddess Initiative said there are powers who work to suppress and powers that work to raise frequencies, like the reptilian versus the Pleiadians. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Isn't it interesting, Shamafia? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Tomorrow's going to be a huge day of change, so to be in class now isn't a coincidence. Give thanks. Give thanks. The Emerald Tablet, uh, Tablets that Jean Williams now speaks of in the Lost Book of Inke are two of the most enlightening and weird books she has ever read. The Emerald Tablet, Tablets, the Emerald Tablets, which I also have read, read maybe, I don't know, 35 years ago, um, and, and have been rereading them recently, and the Lost Book of Inke. I also found um, the Lost Books of the Bible to be quite uh, interesting in, in all their various forms, how they've been presented to us. And certainly um, spent a lot of time in my 20s really trying to make sense of the uh, Egyptian Book of the Dead, um, spiritually, mentally, intellectually, uh, symbolically. In fact, working with that book just did things to my third eye, uh, visions, dreams. Um, my creative uh, faculties were heightened. Uh, I was writing three times as much. I was digesting three times as much books uh, and literature during the time that I was specifically working with the Egyptian Book of the Dead. I think it's important to work with a system, a book, an author, an individual, individually, as opposed to, you know, going from book to book, system to system, you know, within 24 hours, 48 hours, a week, 90 days, but really committing to each seat that you sit in and taking that knowledge and that information and, and, and balancing against the previous that you have sat in, and so that the new seat that we continue to occupy in our journey of learning and spiritual development is further uh, fed, fortified, if you will, by each previous experience, encounter. Uh, I would like to think we do the same with humans. We meet people. We want to know individuals. It's hard to learn an individual in a group. Uh, you you got to spend some time, you know, even at a party, you got to spend some time, you know, at the at the buffet table or at the at the bar or, or in the ladies' room or in the smoking lounge, you know, with just one or two or three people, you know, even for a moment and build connection, build relationships before then moving on to to a, a more communal understanding of where you are in that room, in that space. Thank you for that, the Goddess Initiative. I love PDFs. I love free online archives. Uh, Sacred Text is one of my favorites. Uh, thank you, Jean Williams. Sacred Text is one of my favorite as well for locating uh, many of these books and resources. Uh, Sacred Text. Sacred Text, 
sacredtext.com, sacredtext.com. The link that I actually popped in the chat um, takes you to the index. So it allows you to see what's in the book, what's in the website, uh, I should say, that you can access. Almost every culture or every religion, almost every subject matter you can imagine. Craig Burns has used the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It has female deities as well called Dakini. Mafia, beloved. She said it doesn't matter how lunchtime goes by, the Book of the Dead is relevant. The Book of Enoch, yes, great book. The Pistis Sophia, yes, great book. Course of Miracles, I was discussing and invoking the Course of Miracles yesterday with initiate that's in the house. Thank you kindly. I appreciate you. Isis Unveiled, thank you, the Goddess Initiative. Certainly appreciate everyone's contribution. Thank you for being present with us, listening, participating, sharing your experience. Please do like, subscribe, follow, share and reshare the podcast, the broadcast. I certainly am grateful to you and for you. I have so much more material still and yet to cover. (laughs) So there will be a part four to uh, animal ancestors and Syrian spirits. Love, of course, and miracles, the, the Gnostic handbook. Thank you for that. Yes, indeed. Thank you for that. Yes, indeed. I am trying to talk and eat fruit at the same time. I'm getting a little bit better at keeping on schedule uh, with my what I'm eating, my healthy healthy choices. Um, oh, my beloved cousin Oloyemi, he rests in a room. Hmm. But remember, Oloye would always find a way to eat, even on camera. <laughs> he'd come in, you know, whatever point he'd come in and show, and he would eat on camera. Uh, and that was rather spontaneous. Please forgive me for those who don't know, are unaware. Uh, my former co-host, my beloved cousin, some of you remember Otane, Otun, the female and Oloye, the male Oloye, um, half pants on, um, made his transition. Um, I want to say maybe 90 days now. Um, and I, first, I was asked not to communicate it uh, for the sake of his Elay until they sort of got, you know, a hold to things. Um, and so today, it just sort of came out. You all, yeah, but he passed um, 
it's been very sad. I did talk to Oton. She was just broke up, as you can imagine. Uh, his whole um, Oklahoma City community um, is just broke up about it. Yeah, so it's important that I say that. I know a lot has happened over the past year. Um, and, and so some of you have left off at certain stages of this story. <laughs> so I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Um, you know, we are much in love with each other. We're much in love as a family. Uh, Otan, Oluye, everybody. Uh, but yes, some things happened. Uh, when he came into the show as co-host, he was in a battle that I was assisting. And I was assisting to the degree I was allowed to do so. And again, I don't want this to sound like a judgment of, of his Elaine and their community and how they chose to handle things. But there were things that he kept isolated and, you know, under the veil of secrecy among his community that, you know, family had a different awareness of. I had my own relationship with Oloye outside of Ifa and his Ile that many of you just will never know now at this point. Um, and so, you know, I knew of challenges. I knew of some of the conflicts. I knew of some of the frenemies and, and the enemies uh, involved in the last, you know, several years of his story. And, and sort of telling of his story right now in this moment. So from a professional perspective and out of respect, um, I didn't bring it to the show. I, I didn't talk about it. I already felt it was odd that um, he and Otan just sort of stopped being forward. Not that, you know, I cared about them not being with us, but how it may play out for you all as participants who are sort of, even though this is reality for us, there's still a bit of a story being told. So, you know, well, what happened to Otan? Well, what happened to Oloye? And, and I did get some questions over the, over the past month uh, that I, you know, all is a blessing. <laughs> yeah, all is a blessing. So, yeah, my apologies. Yeah, he was full of information. He was full of life. Um, he was a great martial art instructor and, and mentor to the community in Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, and, and, and the surrounding areas. Uh, he had a gentleness about his nature that was unparalleled, even to me and Otan. Me and Otan both are a bit hot and, and hyper and, and, and a little bit more, you know, <laughs> reactionary than Oloye ever was, uh, even in the course of the podcast. And, and that was true to his nature. That is true to who he is. That, that is true to his spirit and his power. So, yeah, um, yeah, San Mose passed away. Yes, I had a relationship with San Mose. Uh, many of you do not know that. Um, uh, San Mose um, and his partner moved here. Um, to New Orleans a few years back, uh, opened up a business here in town, um, met them, visited them, supported them first in social media for many years. 
Uh, and then when they came here, we had the privy of co-participation in voodoo, four O's, as well as uh, with the U, uh, Haitian voodoo, Louisiana voodoo, all, all sorts of events that we co-shared. I've never said what I'm about to say here, lie. I've never said it, period. I'm certainly not about to say it. I, I'm certainly have never said it on air. Um, he was privy to a very hateful, vicious rumor that some of you out there right now under the sound of my voice heard it, know about it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And no, I'm not going to repeat the rumor right here. I, I do not create and recreate a reality out of my mouth that I do not wish to be reality. However, he was the one person who warned me. One person, and I know there was a community of people who knew about the rumor at the time the rumor was afoot. Now listen, I'm talking eight years back. So y'all don't know how, how strong can Prince hold, hold a secret? <laughs> how strong can Prince hold information? You better ask Merlin Kimball. You better ask Denise Augustine. <laughs> eight years back, the vision. in my house. So I said about it until the, the beginning of the pandemic as a matter. And San Jose had, had closed the shop due to the pandemic um, and was getting ready to go back home, leave Louisiana and, and go back home because uh, he's not from here. Um, and it was at that time that we discussed this rumor. And, and my response was, you know, why is it that friends and family and we don't hear from sometimes for years at a time, you know, outside of formal spaces, you know, the funeral, the family reunion, but let it be some rumors, let it be some ugliness. Oh, man, that seems to travel like fire. So we, once we got past that and, and why I was, you know, well, I'm, I'm, you know, his response was, well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you now. I said, well, thank you. You know, I certainly appreciate it. Uh, of course, there was no truth to the rumor whatsoever. Uh, the, the starter, the creator of the rumor actually called my sister, Wapani, and admitted that she had lied in the creation of the rumor and that she had done so just out of anger, just, just out of anger. And so, you know, I, I, listen, I could easily have a dirty show. Some of y'all want me to have an ugly, dirty show and call names and, and discredit people and, and, and break people's, you know, public personas and reputation. I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. Some of you know exactly who I'm talking about because you've been around long enough to know exactly who I'm talking about. You've been monitoring posts and pictures and videos and activities and Congo Square and black masking tradition for some time. And you know, and some of you are just, <laughs> just finding out in this moment how strong a constitution divine prince really has, really has. So, yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a requirement to, like ministers, like priests, it's a requirement that we respect people's information. 
sometimes others' names, others' reputations. And so in doing so, I, I don't get involved in mudslinging. I, I don't do it. I don't do it. But I could. I, I've shared enough today that those who are privy <laughs> to the story know that if I wanted to, I could. And another reason that I didn't was, you know, honey, legality. Now, now if they want to make it an issue, let's go to court. Let's get some go- some lawsuits going. Okay. <laughs> let's get some lawsuits going if, if that's how they, you know. So, no, no. And, and people have gone on their way, gone about their business, and, and I'm grateful for that. But the, the room is still out there among certain communities, and particularly within the white community, is, is where it, it really festered. Because the notion was that this person was being stalked by me through voodoo, and, and that I had retaliated through voodoo. And so their whole life was coming apart, and it was my fault. And so they sought white, Haitian voodoo practitioners to sort of battle me. Um, sidebar, how well is that going for you? Sidebar. And certainly those who are privy. Count the number of dead people in this story. And, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, yeah, the God's Initiative, but I, <laughs> yeah, I see your comment. Now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving right along. Yeah, but me and O'Toole are good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's about respect, respect for myself, respect for other people, not degrading my own value. And sometimes people are not going to see that in the moment. Just because you are right does not mean you need to prove it, you need to say it, you need to demonstrate it, it, or certainly need to ruin your life over it just to make a point. And sometimes even if you could make that point, people still don't believe what they want to believe. People still going to act the way they act. Um, When I look at my family, good good afternoon, Broomfields, Harris's, and the like. Uh, y'all, now y'all have the story. It's been published. My mama wrote a book. Wapani wrote a book. I've told the story many, 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 many times. But you all's behavior ain't changed. You all still act like I'm the random runaway black sheep out there and all is good and well. <laughs> okay? And I understand it's a lot to deal with. You got to reexamine your parents and your relationship with other members in the family who have also remained silent, you know, for decades in, in the face of foolishness and nonsense. And, and now the light and the truth of the story has been told and we quiet. So I do what I do for you. I do what I do for the Broomfields, for the Harrises, okay, for my ancestors, for my community. I do what I do for Francis Scott Key Junior High School. I do what I do for Suitland Senior High. 
both I think have new names today, uh, technically advanced names, PG County, Maryland. I, I do what I do for Brandbury Heights Elementary School in, in the DMV. I do what I do for Kirkwood High in Kirkwood, Missouri. I, I do what I do for SIU, Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville, SIUE. I do what I do for Academy Pacific Airlines School who screwed me out of $2,500 uh, back in 1986 and continued to try and attack my income and my taxes and my credit uh, for decades, for decades afterwards uh, until the government got a clue. I do what I do for Greater Scripture Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, formerly of Ninth and O Streets, Northwest Washington, D.C. I do what I do. I do what I do for the bullies in PG County District Heights, soup in Maryland, who, who thought abusing me was cute, who, who thought abusing me was fun, who thought embarrassing me was, you know, a, a good thing. Uh, so that's why I do and continue to do um, what I do. I'm not getting famous. I'm not getting rich. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I, I have minimal celebrity, you know, uh, at the at the local and international level. Um, yeah, thank you, Shamafia. I, I'm here to transmit. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to transmit. That's it. And so I share you know, like I'm sharing right now, reality, when the rubber meets the road, reality on reality's terms, rarely I'm going to do more of it on my coming TV show. So you're just getting a taste of the reality. I'm going to share more of that on the coming reality show. But I don't got time. I got friends and frenemies and associates that have no more to do than to keep up drama and madness and Twitter and Instagram and go back and forth and copy and recopy and copy and paste and recopy and paste, you know, other people's reality and are not investing in their own reality, are not investing in their own footprint. And I've said it before on this show, many of you are going to regret wasting your Internet money every month in, in these tech devices uh, when your great, great, great grandchildren are able to pull up and archive your Facebook shenanigans and your Instagram booty and your TikTok badussy. You know, you, you're wasting your power. I, I never have, you know, but I, I see people do it. Yeah, respect the voodoo. People would truly respect the voodoo if they really understood. And it's my goal through the coming show to make that a reality for you. Make that reality for you. So, yeah, there, there were many people involved in that who are not living with us anymore. Um, all through just extreme, painful, and ugly circumstances. And so be careful about spreading them rumors. 
Be careful about entertaining that bullshit. Be careful. I'm telling you from experience. I'm telling you as a witness. Be careful. It's a reason the magical book, you know, talks about the sins of gossip. It's a reason for that. Because you defile yourself in the process. You defile yourself. And that which we project on others, we project on ourselves. That we, which we judge in others, we judge in ourselves. That which we reject in others, we reject in ourselves. That which we are unwilling to see in others, we are often unwilling to see in ourselves. Asheo, Neophyte Bokor, Asheo, my brother. So I certainly appreciate you all. It's been a great two hours. I certainly look forward to meeting here with you again at high noon Central Standard Time and, and whatever time it might be in your time zone in the world. Certainly enjoy a safe carnival. Enjoy a safe Fat Tuesday, a safe Mardi Gras day. But while these parades are rolling and these festivals and these balls are happening, wear your mask. Make sure you all are vaccinated and boosted. And, and if you choose not to do so, isolate, <laughs> isolate, isolate. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing you next time at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time. All is a blessing. All is a blessing, indeed. All is truly Congo Square. The almost Indians. Respect the voodoo. The almost Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The almost Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the almost Indian, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, 
to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang. We beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate, a world harrowed by the beat, be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums, heart Beat, heart, beat, heart, beat, at this place, at this place, beat, heart, beat, beat, we beating place in new world space, beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace, our dance is the God walk, our music the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together, circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end, connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be banza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy. Must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate with out Hello. of us. Whoa. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, deep inside us is us. 
Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade. But dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades. Eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to be, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember. To beat, to be, beat, Congo Square, be, Congo Square, beat, be, beat. Remember. Yeah. 